G'day and welcome to the first of our In The Know, On The Go podcast series. If the name explains, we are absolutely getting you across what you need to know in the shortest amount of time possible. At different times, we'll be sitting down with different experts to do a deep dive into their areas. This week, and for the first episode in this series, I'm sitting down with Cole Medway. Cole Medway is a senior director with LAWD, a team of experts providing market-leading transactional services and advice. And for us here at Humans of Agriculture, we're very fortunate that you guys have been supporting us for 18 or so months now, and um, you've just come on again for another 12 months. So Cole, we're, we're very thankful for that. Not only will you guys be sponsoring a number of episodes, you'll be doing some market updates, providing advice for our audience, as well as we'll be finding out a little bit more about the people involved in your business with some monthly stories as well, which is going to be great. Today, we're here to talk rural markets. So Cole, it's great to have you here. No, thanks, Ollie. And uh, congratulations on the progress of your podcast and um, it's stepping out uh, full time. I think uh, you'll be well rewarded and um, you've got a great following and we're just um, delighted to be involved. On the Rural markets front, it's always the talk of the town. I think people, there is, will really prick up at this. But we'll start off, what are some of the top performing regions that you guys are seeing, as well as maybe some of those underperforming or what we could call opportunistic areas as well? Yeah, not too many opportunities in the market, Ollie, at the moment, but um, we'll start with the, the areas that are really performing well. And I suppose you could, across Eastern Australia, you could probably classify them. The, the high rainfall mix, mixed farming regions are probably the strongest um, and I classify those as sort of, you know, the Western District of Victoria um, through the um, Eastern Riverina, um, Southwest Slopes of New South Wales and um, the Central West of New South Wales. If you look at those and up through to the, um, the New England, if you look at those regions, um, you know, they're, they're highly sought after. Um, they're reliable regions in regard to rainfall, although, you know, everyone's aspect on rainfall is uh, a little bit uh, concerning at the moment with the amount we've been having, but obviously um, they're reliable regions in most in most years. And um, and I suppose the old story where um, you know, capital flocks to quality or, or you know, goes to quality when regard to uh, in any market, those areas are obviously highly sought after. And I think it, it's on the back of the flexibility of enterprise. Um, we've seen you know, really solid red meat prices with cattle and, and sheep. Um, the grains are, are, are king along strongly, spurting on the back of yields. And we've nearly got three um, really solid cropping years under our belt now. So there's a big portion of the market that uh, are cashed up. They've got really strong balance sheets. Um, they're well supported by their banks and they're looking to expand. In regard to where there's potentially value, um, I do, f- you know, talking to um, Simon Wilkinson, who is our representative in WA, and when you look at Western Australia, there is a bit of a disconnect between, um, if you look at it on a... Um, per hectare per 100 millimetres of rainfall basis on comparable regions in WA, um, they certainly are trading at a discount to, um, to the East Coast. Um, now, that's, um, you know, I don't really understand why that is happening, but it is, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Obviously, it's probably a big leap for someone from the East Coast to then go and, um, you know, create a hub in WA. But still, um, you know, they're having great seasons over there as well. And uh, I think that's where there's been a little bit of a gap in the market. And I think what we're also seeing, despite the fact that the dairy sector is improving and has improved quite considerably, like all things with the markets, um, you know, dairy farmers are doing really tough through the through the drought. They were low, not only did they have low um, milk prices, but they had high commodity prices as well for their inputs. 
and that's what a lot of people leave the sector. And now the um, processes are crying out for milk and um, and you know paying higher values. And so um, you know dairy farmers are that sector's re rebounded, but still we're seeing on the back of the strong beef prices that um, dairies uh, when you know when a dairy farmer decides to exit and he and he's um, probably goes on the market generally because it's in a high rainfall zone and backed up by sometimes um, you know good water entitlements and things like that that those farms are being purchased and not going back to being dairies. So um, that conversion still is happening, even though the, the market is, the dairy market's in a, a really strong space at the moment. And so on the, the broader market, where things are heading, the, the question which so many people are asking, can it just continue climbing? Where, where are you guys seeing it heading kind of across the board? Well, no, we can't keep climbing. Um, that's just, history tells you that. Um, look, it's had just a, a year-on-year double-digit growth in land values. Um, and we've really had a really strong increase in land values if you go back even since about 2015. So we're nearly talking seven years now of really, really strong, um, and I hate using the word unprecedented, but, you know, it has been as strong as I've ever seen in my short career. So, you know, but what we normally have seen in the past is we do have these quick, sharp lifts in values, and then we have quite a period of time where um, land values don't go up much at all. And that could be a period of seven, eight, you know, nine years. Are we closer to that period than not? I think we must be. Um, but at the moment, we still have more buyers than sellers. And just a basic market fundamentals of that. Um, I certainly think even in the last probably six weeks, in regard to our campaigns that we're now operating in the spring, there certainly isn't the flood of buyer inquiries. Um, there is still very, very good, solid inquiry from highly qualified buyers who are, you know, are finance approved and bank backed up. Um, they are certainly um, active still in the market and still looking to expand, but we're not seeing people clamour over the back of each other um, at the moment. So, you know, um, I think values will consolidate. It's my pick. Um, whether they're going to keep rising at double-digit levels, I don't know. But look, Ollie, um, I've called the the top three times and been wrong three times. So um, I'm probably the more you know, the less you know. I think so. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone, if anyone tells tells you they know, uh, they're either lucky or they're lying. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and in terms of the the people who are looking to buy, are we still seeing a huge interest by corporates in in Australia? Um, uh, how are the family farmers going? And, and are these kind of consolidated to localised trends or is it a, a national trend in terms of the appetite for corporates and family farmers? No, certainly the family farming business is driving this market. Um, the corporates are participants in it, um, obviously at different price points, but um, fundamentally, um, you know, the market's been driven by locals looking for expansion opportunities. And that's a lot to do with, you know, when you look at these families who are inquiring, there's, um, you know, there's there's mum and dad at 50 and 60 and there's um, the 20-somethings and 30-somethings behind them that have got a real appetite to grow, got time uh, on their hands, they've got energy and they are happy to, to step out and um, and bite hard and chew quick and um, have a crack. So they're certainly the ones who are driving the market. That's not to say corporates aren't, in, aren't involved and they certainly are. Um, the pace of the market makes it hard at times for um, corporates to participate. Um, especially if they require um, FERB approval, um, because they just need to take longer in regard to their due diligence requirements in order to be able to assess a deal. 
Now, that's fair enough too, because these people are, are spending other people's money. So they have to make sure that they are, um, are doing everything right in regard to assessing an asset before they purchase on behalf of their, their, their source of capital. So, you know, that, that's um, perfectly legitimate. Um, the thing is that I suppose the nimbleness that a family farmer has in regard to being able to eyeball a place, you know, do some numbers, talk to their bank um, and go, yep, that one's for me, um, you know, they, they certainly are on the front foot and can certainly be a bit more nimble than the uh, institutional investors. On the the access to finance, is it having pressures, the, the rising input costs, inflation, is it having a, a flow and effect into the rural market? Well, it, it, it's got to have some impact in regard to serviceability. So it's all about serviceability and, and serviceability comes from two levels. It's the cost of the capital that you, you're borrowing and obviously, therefore, the profitability and your ability to generate profit to um, to pay pay that back. So it's got to have an impact. The thing about it is that you know I think people are, the reality check is that you know I think it was March um, this year that interest rates were 0.1 of a percent. Now they're at 2.35 percent. Um, now anyone who I, I just don't get how everyone think they're crying foul that um, interest rates are rising. Well, which way were they ever going to go? They couldn't, weren't going to go down. And if you look at history, they had to go up, predicting next week that we'll have another half a percent rise. You know, we're really only getting back to neutral um, sort of interest rate levels. And so an old guy that I knew, you know, who I respect really well, he's purchased a lot of rural property over the years, and um, he's an 80-odd-year-old 80, 80 guy now. And he said to me, he said, Cole, whenever I could borrow money under 7%, I used to pin me his back. And so we still are at historically low interest rates. And, um, you know, are they ever going to get back to 17%? I can't see that in the, even in the current climate with regard to that. Never say never, of course, but it seems highly unlikely. So I think really good businesses who understand their cost of capital, understand their profitability, can still make these numbers work quite strongly. And I think we're seeing that really in the impact that um, we still have really good inquiry in regard to uh, spring listings this year. Well, we're uh, very excited to watch what happens in spring. One final question just around a few years ago, tree plantings were a huge emerging crop. They came in. Now it seems like the C word is front and centre. But what are some of the trends that are emerging? Are we seeing land use type change when people are purchasing for instance with uh with tree crops with irrigation um and or even this uh the carbon word um in transactions yeah well look tree crops are still important there's still people investing in tree crops and um and if you think about that you know there's lots of water around at the moment but and obviously the distribution of water through the choke is a big issue with regard to permanent uh, plantings um downstream of that so that's yet to play out we've got a lot of orchards there to still come on to full production and um and uh i'm no expert in that area but obviously that's a, a bit of a concern but people who have selected good sites um and are still looking and have water, have uh, reliable water entitlements um are still looking to invest in uh, tree crops because fundamentally what we're finding now and this is the impact of the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, is that the water is going to highest and best use, where that the highest return comes from that water. And that's just a market reaction. Um, and so, anyway, we'll let to wait and see that it's a long-term investment, obviously, tree crops, and, um, and um, there's some really smart people making investments in that area. So, you know, I'm not one to doubt them. Um, 
in regard to carbon, um, it's nearly discussed in every property that you have in the market at the moment where people are considering, well, what are the opportunities there? There's certainly, um, you know, big plays being made. Um, you know, and we're seeing even a, a, a splitting of an asset in regard to people's view on, on how they will run it. So, you know, Merrifield and Limbunya has just recently been purchased in the, in Northern, um, in Northern Territory. Well, you know, the purchase of the land, their focus is going to be on land management and carbon. And then another institutional investor, AAM, have purchased the cattle and are going to run the cattle on the property. So I think that's a really interesting sort of um, um, differentiation in play where people are sticking to their knitting a bit and, um, and different investors are looking at the, an asset and, and taking advantage of an asset in completely different ways. Obviously, they'll have to um, have some synergies and run those together because you can't run independently of that. But I just thought that was a really interesting um, transaction and an interesting partnership between those two purchases and, um, and a good thing to see. But certainly um, not even in regard to carbon, um, you know, environmental offsets as well as an important part of the market as well, Lolly, and a lot of people with um, remnant timber on properties at the moment, which don't really have a carbon play um, to a great extent, uh, people looking at that in regard to um, you know, environmental offsets and, um, and how that works. Yeah, wow. So plenty, plenty happening. There's always something new emerging. And recently, Carl, I back in July, I did the a drive up to Darwin, and it was with a fellow who spent 15 years in the territory, and he was saying this is the first time he's ever seen cotton lying on the side of the roads. So, Northern Australia, there is more people starting to look at cotton up there. So, one, what what is the interest in cotton in Northern Australia, and two, yeah, how are they going to realise these opportunities? Well, there's just a trail of dust of land cruiser after land cruiser of southern cotton growers um, heading to the northern Australia looking for opportunities. And, um, and they've been drawn to, um, you know, the fact that there's good land, potential water entitlements, but obviously there's a big, big play also just looking at cotton on a dry land basis um, uh, in, that, in that region. I think the fact that um, gins are now being built um, in Northern Australia is just going to accelerate that process. I think it's really exciting. Um, it's a, you know, Northern Australia is um, completely undeveloped um, and the opportunities up there are great. And I think it's just fantastic that people have uh, eyes wide open just um, heading north to, to see what opportunities come, come about. And that's the other thing, that, that change of land use um, is an evolving process. It's um, probably a little bit more mature in the south but um, certainly it's going to be exciting to see what happens in the future in Northern Australia. Absolutely. Watch this space. I've, uh, I might have a couple of photos from having a look around up there too, but um, Cole, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. Thank you to y- yourself, but also the whole LAWT, LAWD team for your support of humans of agriculture. And if anyone's got any questions, um, we might field them and, and send them on to you guys as well. Yeah, look, great to be involved, Ollie, and uh, well done. And yeah, if anyone's got any uh Questions in any regard in rural property, um, feel free to reach out to uh, any one of our LAWD team.